Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure, cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is also brought to you by Green Scene. Green Scene is a family-owned company recognized as the Sizzle Award winner for outdoor living in Williamson County. We design and construct areas to blend with the natural landscape of your yard. That can include outdoor spaces, gazebos, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and yes, putting greens. We understand the importance of your home. That's why we never settle for anything but the best. Green Scene also provides multiple teams with professional landscape maintenance, irrigation, and outdoor lighting. Welcome to On The Verge, today's special guest. It's from Creative Nation. She's the third person that I've been fortunate enough to interview from Creative Nation, and she's taken on a new position as Senior Director Creative at Creative Nation. Emily Furman. Emily, how are you today? Doing great, Virgil. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in, because I love music, mm-hmm. I'm always <clears throat> fascinated in the in the songwriter's world, because it's a lot of country music has that songwriter piece where rock and roll doesn't necessarily. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You've had the opportunity to be around and scout and recruit the best songwriters in the world. What are some of the traits that you see the greatest songwriters have that they bring to the table that separate them from the rest? Yeah, for sure. I think having a unique perspective, I think bringing the the most honest and true versions of themselves um, really make writers stand out less of chasing what's hot and big at the moment and more of a this may have never been said before but this is who I am and and here's my unique way of saying it um I also think that you know it's a 10-year town and having the persistence to really um get knocked down to be told no to try some things out and and realize that's not my path this here is more me try out different co-writing co-writing is huge so finding your um your crew of co-writers and people who really enhance what you have to say best Mm -hmm. um 
it is a, all part of the collective package of being a, a successful songwriter. And like I said, it, it sometimes takes 10 years to get there and, and you a, just have to have that staying power. A 10 year town. That is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Where did you come up with that? Because you feel like that's about what it takes. Yeah, for sure. It's funny that I'm, I'm surprised you haven't heard that before. That's Never kind heard of that before. a I like that. that's a music row buzzword. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of artists and songwriters people don't realize it's been on average ten. It takes on average ten years to to make it and to to have your voice heard. Um, wow. Yeah. So there's persistence, like for- the the ability to persist through doubt exactly and f- hearing that it's not good enough or we don't want your song or that's not that's not us right now exactly that's not easy for anybody rejection is hard exactly but it's like it's one of the traits of greatness and no matter what endeavor we're talking about is that there's a level of self-belief required to be good at something and if your passion is a critical endeavor to this because you're going to get kicked in the teeth you're going to write the best song you've ever written and you're going to give it to somebody like, nope, that's really hard Exactly to the ego, especially when you pour your heart and soul into something. Definitely. But you, you quickly learn, kids out there, if you're listening, it's not as easy as it looks. Taylor Swift did not get to be Taylor Swift because she just landed on Taylor Swift. Exactly. It didn't just, oh, oops, she's worked really hard. And no matter how awesome she appears right now, It was not always like that. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? A lot of times, it take writers and artists, artists and creatives. It starts off with one believer. So you're this new, and you find one person to believe in you, Mm. and then they start rallying. I'm thinking of this artist I signed early on in her career um, as just as a songwriter, and she was one of my best friends from college, and um, I, I. kind of was a little nervous to bring her on because she was a friend but I really believed in her and I then I started playing her music to my coworkers, and they're like this is great and I was like okay well maybe I like know what I'm doing and we just developed and let her like I said co-writing is really big in Nashville so set her up with different combinations to try to get the best songs and, and what represented her the best um and it, it just grow it just grew and I there's a ton of music in this town and there's a ton of songwriters and artists and talent, but, but the really authentic and really true ones are rare. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think taking that time and really developing and really letting them find their own path, um, is the sweet spot. Yeah. I I find that what's the best way for me to put this. I think for you to stand on stage in front of 50,000 people requires a level of ego that is not the same as it takes to write a great song. Mm-hmm. So to be a co-writer, or this, this, the world of songwriting is less selfish and a little more selfless, mm-hmm. and they collaborate because they're always looking for that, that next thing. Like, oh, I like what you did. I've never heard that. Can you mm-hmm. do that again? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then somebody else brings something else to the table. So in the, the interviews that I've done in the past with songwriters like Ashley Gorey and Gorley and Barry Dean and Neil Thrasher and Kelly Lovelace to, are the four that pop into my head right now. Mm-hmm. They're all super successful. Mm-hmm. And they always talk about getting together. Mm-hmm. You don't hear like Axl Rose and Eddie Vedder and Kurt Cobain wanting to get together. Right. You don't hear... <laughs> You know, Chris Stapleton, Kenny Chesney, and 
Garth Brooks wanting to get together to write some stuff. Exactly. They're different. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard because I'm a rock and roll guy. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to wrap my head around the songwriters piece because my favorite artists write their own songs mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And then what? So, but coming to Music City, and I've been here since '97. I've been, I've had the opportunity to teach a golf lesson to Dirk Bentley, and I've taught. I've, worked, I've been I've spent a lot of time with Vince Gill, mm-hmm. and it was just very interesting how they like to get together with songwriters, mm-hmm. and that's how I ended up meeting Neil Thrasher and and Kelly, and then with Beth, you know, bringing Barry Dean and Ashley to me. I was just like, wow, this is a fascinating subculture to music for sure that stands out a lot in country and not anywhere else really for sure why do you feel that's the case i think that there's this uh, there's an acceptance um and and it ebbs and flows um of artists not writing their own songs at least for me and Mm -hmm. it it, i know that people there are people who think differently than that but i think country music has always accepted that there are really great country songwriters and there are really great country performers i'm thinking george Strait and dean dillon they they wouldn't be themselves without each other they wouldn't have the careers they have without each other but can you imagine no george Strait, even though he didn't write his own songs he's a hell of a performer and he can deliver a song dean dillon may not have that delivery but can write the chair, you know, which is, in my opinion, one of the greatest country songs of all time. Sure. And so, there, there's just always been this, this acceptance of there can be great songwriters and there can be great artists and there can be great songwriter artists. And again, find your path, hmm. figure out what works best for you, and and the cream rises to the top. Yeah, and I think that as I was talking with Tim Whipperman, mm-hmm. Tim talked about how. Now, and and recently, and I don't know where recently begins, maybe eight years ago, ten years ago, that the country music artists, they are collaborating more with the songwriters Mm -hmm. to add a little bit of themselves to the song because it then makes the song almost identify with the artist a little bit better. Definitely. Would you say that that's happening more? Definitely, yes. Um, And it's cool. Different artists kind of find their different different camps and writers who the, for instance um this type of writer might bring out the the meteor more i would say furniture those kinds of songs and this type of songwriter might bring out more of my live show and so it's cool to just really uh. be creative and round out a project um writing with all different kinds of songwriters hmm. interesting so you you just left a a job that you were at for eleven years mm-hmm. to come to Creative Nation. Yes, you did well, your homework. What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> as much as I try to be a, a golf teacher, yeah. I like to do my research. There you go. I, I, I'm intrigued because I've had the fortunate opportunity to interview both Beth and Luke. Mm-hmm. Creative Nation seems to be doing something different. What intrigued you the most? to come join Creative Nation. And what is it that you're hoping to deliver on your side of the street yeah. to Creative Nation? Yeah. Well, what I love about Creative Nation is they share this value that I have that that's so important to me. And that's a level of quality, but also a level of commercial success. So to me, I really want great songs. Great. I, I want to represent great, timeless songs. Um, songs that, that, 
people look back at it and say, oh, like, you know, 10 years later, I still, that st- song still makes me feel something, you know? But at the same time, I want to play ball. I want to, I want to work on country radio, you mm. know? Um, and so I feel like Creative Nation just does that really well. Um, and that's my taste. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I want to enhance and bring to the table as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really what I'm passionate about. So finding unique, that's what I grew up on. I grew up on uh, Patty Loveless and mm-hmm. the chicks and um, Trisha Yearwood and Tim and Faith. And they cut great, some of those Kenny Chesney songs, they cut great songs, but they're also commercial. And mm-hmm. so that's that's something I'm really passionate about. That's That's interesting to me because you know, music is it's is a very powerful mechanism mm-hmm. in the world, mm-hmm. and it helps people transcend themselves in car rides, trips. It, it becomes a timestamp, mm-hmm. right? Oh my gosh! Yeah, like like I said, I'm a, I'm a rock. I mean, anytime I hear Alice in Chains' "Rooster," like I flash back to 1993 driving through Birmingham. Exactly, I was lost, mm-hmm. couldn't. I was moving there to work, and I couldn't find. The place that I was supposed to live. Okay. And my stress was insane because uh-huh. I'm not necessarily in the best part of town at uh-huh. one o'clock in the morning. Uh-huh. And that song, every time I hear that song, I remember driving by Johnny Ray's barbecue, lost as hell, trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be. Oh, that's so funny. And it's it's because it just it, it creates a stamp in an environment. Definitely. And music also is a a place where you can find a level of flow state that basically cleanses the soul. It's like a, a recharging For sure. place. So there's a, there's an art form to the noise and the lights that help put the body into a trance in a live atmosphere. Definitely. And I, I, I love studying that because I'm at the end of the day, Human performance, the elite version of human performance, occurs in that subconscious area where you turn off control and be. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I would imagine that in this process that you're in, mm-hmm. you're the conduit between the person who's just writing an experience and the person who's going to relay the experience that encapsulates 50,000 people into a trance that transcends their life that they never forget definitely and that is the magic carpet ride for sure that has basically hooked you into this business exactly you say and that's what when people ask me my favorite thing about publishing that right there is that i remember early on um the first time this ever happened a, a writer wrote a song a couple of writers that i was working with co-wrote a song and afterward asked me to come into the room like they were so excited hey come in and listen to the song that we just wrote and and fast forward a few months later little big town cuts it and fast forward a few months later they put it out and then the next summer we go and watch them perform it live and that is that process is the best part about publishing and getting to see people react getting to hear that song the day it was written and then a year it takes a long time for all that to happen but however long later seeing that song delivered and people react to it that's that's what it's all about and that's so rewarding interesting i did not know that talk to me about the process the time the time lapse between pen to paper yeah to it being sung at a live concert. Yeah, it really varies. 
but all in all, it's usually a long time. So a song will get written, then it gets delivered to us in some form. At the time, there were a lot more work tapes, which was just people singing into their phone. And then you would go do demo sessions to uh, build the song up with a band. And then you would start pitching it. Now, getting a writer-producer in the room is a big part of the industry. So having someone in the room that day so that a day or two later they can get a track to you and then you can pitch from there is kind of the new norm um that can be uh, you know in the in a perfect scenario it might be it gets it goes on hold in a week and it gets cut in within a couple months but a lot of times it's longer than it's longer than that um it can be a year or more um so it's so funny i i um worked with this song all kinds of kinds it was a miranda lambert song and um my boss at the time was her producer and that song was written in 97 i think and she cut it in 2013 or 14 i want to say that's an incubation period exactly yes but that's 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 kind of what i was talking about and that and that that those are the kind of songs i want to work for the songs that are just as special the day they were written as they are 20 years later. Yeah. yeah. I'm always fascinated because, you know, it's very similar to, to kids, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was blessed to interview Ashley Gorley the day that he passed Paul McCartney for the most number one songs ever written. Oh my gosh. So that was a pretty cool, That's insane. It's a pretty cool experience. Yeah. And I'm like, is there any one that's more important to you than the other? And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like to me, there's no favorites, mm-hmm. and you have to be. Able, I think it's important that you don't do that mm-hmm. because, at the end of the day, it's just an experience for sure. And so, when you're in that in that writer's room, is there always an alpha dog that's in, in, in when they're co-writing it all together, mm-hmm. or is it much more collaborative and like equal across the all, all boards? It depends. Um, it really depends um, on the combination. Some, if there's an artist in the room, they may want some. They may be. Mm. They may bring their experience to this to the table more, and the writers just kind of help fine tune it. Or they may be drawing from the writers. Um, so it really just, it, it really can, and, and different writers like different things too. I think some writers would say, if I go into a room and somebody's trying to like run the room, that's not for me, you yeah. know? So it's in the 13 years, gosh, I guess that I've been in, in the music industry, it's, there's so much getting to learn songwriters and what their preferences are and what they want to bring to the table and what they're able to bring to the table mm. and, and putting those songwriters, putting them together with someone who makes sense and complements what they do. Interesting. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I learned when I first came to Nashville, I had the opportunity to work with some really cool people. And they, they said, Virgil, one of the things that you're going to love about Nashville, and you should always listen to this, so yes, sir. He goes, is that the Nashville's economy is hinging around healthcare and publishing. Mm-hmm. So when the economy is good, it's good. Mm-hmm. But when the economy is bad, it is better. Mm-hmm. So Nashville itself isn't recession proof, but it is recession resistant mm-hmm. because two in every ten people work in healthcare in one way or the other Mm -hmm. and another one and a half 
work in publishing or in the, the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. So 35% of the population is doing well when everything's going well and doing better when it's not. That's so interesting. So I'm like, what goes into publishing that makes it that profound, that it is that big of a business, and why might it thrive when the economy is going down? Yeah, that's so interesting. That makes me think of when COVID hit, and for a minute we all froze and are like, how do we do this? But Zoom writing became this huge thing and and artists were off the road. So artists were writing a lot more. And so there were all these opportunities. So that actually does make sense in that we we freaked out for a minute, but then found that actually there are ways to thrive, even though the, the economy is not what it normally is. And, yeah. and you know, our, our situation is so much different than it, than from normal. Um, yeah. So. Um. So the the publishing business, and and that's part of what it is that mm-hmm. you're doing. Talk to us a little bit about what that means. What is the publishing industry and how it pertains to music and and songwriting? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this is how I explain it to um my my family and friends back at home and. In the way that uh, a record label, which is something they're more familiar with, has a roster of artists, um, and they put out records on their artists, the publishing company has a roster of songwriters, and they exploit their songs that the writers write. Mm. Um, so we operate in a lot of different ways. Um, we have some writers who strictly write songs for other people. We have some writers who are artists and mostly write for themselves. And we have some who are artist writers who write some for themselves and some for outside cuts. Hmm. So the cool thing is you can, no two days are the same at creative nation. I feel like we do a really good job at making sure we don't sign two of the same kind of writer, um, just to keep opportunities, um, open and, um, honestly to to best serve our clients and to make our days more interesting i don't want to do the same thing for for everybody you know um so really let it lets us be creative um and lets us serve really well um Mm -hmm. so that's the gist of it um trying to get great songs out into the world Mm -hmm. yeah interesting Mm -hmm. because to me uh, you brought up something interesting in COVID. you know so uh jake owen is a is a is a great golfer Mm -hmm. and I see him frequently in the summertime. And I asked him, you know, if he was writing and getting new new stuff. And he goes, I'm having a hard time writing when I can't play live. Mm-hmm. Because my mu- I feel like I'm a, I like to perform. Mm-hmm. I don't like to sing songs. I like to perform. And if I'm not able to perform, I don't have the creative juices to write. Mm-hmm. But then you have like a, a guy like Morgan Wallen, mm-hmm. who's took this time that is bizarrely crazy in all facets of entertainment mm-hmm. and just explodes. I mean, Morgan Wallen went from like a virtually brand new to, if he's not the biggest, he is in a very short list of the biggest For sure. people in, in the country Huge. music right now. And like two stars took a moment like COVID mm-hmm. and how it disturbed the system and mm-hmm. And it affected them radically different, and they're both successful. But I would imagine artists are, by nature, hard to put a finger on. For sure. Right? 
I would imagine that that's one of the, the fun slash frustrating pieces of your job, which is trying to figure out how to put your finger on something that is constantly moving around on you. Definitely, definitely. And it's such a... It, such a relationship town and that's kind of how we go about figuring stuff like that out um getting getting together with their camps so constantly having meetings and what is jake looking for what is morgan what jake's gonna cut more outside songs morgan's probably gonna write although he does cut some outside songs more of what he writes so finding opportunities to either get in the room with morgan and talking with his people okay kind of what does he need or getting those outside songs to jake and saying okay so he needs some live live show songs and relaying that to our songwriters as well like hey when you guys are in the room today just keep in mind that i I try not to too much have them pinpoint because sometimes if you're trying too hard it there's something contrived about that but you know be thinking we send them pitch sheets be thinking about like these writers these artists are looking and here's what they're looking for and if there's an opportunity for you to do something special in that lane Mm, roll down that road yeah so creative nation Mm -hmm. it's a it's a fairly new company we just hit 10 years. Yeah, it's 10 yeah. years, especially in this town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in, in this world. Yeah. And it's the vision that they have is unique. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the company going in the next five to 10 years while, while you're along for the ride? Mm-hmm. And what is it that you expect to see them do in conjunction with how you see music evolving in the future? Yeah. So I see... Um, it's funny, we when I first started, most publishing companies had songwriters who wrote songs for other people, and now I'd say the majority of the percentage of writers at each company are artists as well, um, so I definitely see a shift to more artist writers. Um, you kind of, like I was talking about, get a uh, double bang for your buck, you get song, you, you can get songs for outside outside artists, but you also have this artist that you're developing and that if they turn into Morgan Wallen, then you have all of their songs. Um, and so there's definitely a shift into that. Um, and then repeat the second part of your well, question. Not, before we get on that, yeah. uh, do you feel like COVID mm-hmm. that slashed it into the Zoom world mm-hmm. opened up the idea to somebody who considered themselves maybe a songwriter it gave them a less intimidating arena to sing their songs and perform, but not to a place where they could fail miserably and be booed off a stage, but there are only like nine people listening to, well, let me see what this guy's got to offer, or this lady's got to offer. And they, wow, that's really good. And mm-hmm. you should, are you, do you, are you have your own band? Or are you just a songwriter? Like, Everybody has a dream, I think, of performing with. There's a lot of people that are scared to fail. Yeah. And I wonder if that Zoom world, that that place where COVID took it, is making more people who were afraid to put themselves in the limelight, be up on that stage, gave them a a place that they could perform it, you could see it, Mm -hmm. and they could be heard and seen and be told, hey, that was really good. Versus beforehand, that wouldn't be the case. Definitely. They'd hear a demo, maybe, but it wouldn't be the same as watching it live on a Zoom, even though it's recorded, so to speak. To see somebody play play it versus hearing it on a tape is very different. Yes, I definitely think that's happening more. Um, And 
in addition to Zoom, also with TikTok, that that's a big thing right now where yeah, artists are getting discovered that. on TikTok. I also personally like to tread lightly in that world. I think that a, a song can be sold really well on TikTok, and that's great, but there's, there's more layers to dig into with that artist. Live performance is such a huge part of our genre, genre that you may be great and blow up on TikTok but, TikTok, but if you've never played a show in your life, I don't necessarily think that you're ready for the big stage, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that it's, it's just another avenue to do, to discover, but like every other way, when we are entertaining signing songwriters, you have to kind of like, like I said, peel back the layers and make sure there's more to it than just that one song or that, that, that one moment. Sure. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of, people you know nashville's on fire it is absolutely lighting up mm-hmm. and if it's not the the fastest growing city in the united states it's in the top three it mm-hmm. has to be but i almost sense that the tv show nashville played a major role in that mm-hmm. and one of the things it highlighted was the bluebird mm-hmm. you know and the songwriters and the sitting in the round so to speak definitely how important is the bluebird and the bluebirds of nashville to the lifeblood of country music and the songwriters for the city and essentially for the country music world. Yeah, I think it's great that it put songwriters on a stage and it made people realize that part of the industry. Um, It really, um, songwriter rounds are what are the the lifeblood of this town and the introduction that a lot of people have to the music industry. When I first started, I was out at Rider Rounds every night of the week and learning songwriters. And there's different levels. You can go see three people that nobody's ever heard of before. You can go see Ashley Glory, Luke Laird, and Barry Dean, you know, and everyone in between. And I I think it's really important to have them, have people realize that, that songwriters are the backbone of country music. Um, And and it's really cool for them too. It's, it's funny. I'm thinking of the listening room. It's a popular um, place to go see around and it's kind of turned into a lot of tourists go to, but in addition to industry people. So it's a cool crowd. I honestly think songwriters like playing there because it's fun to play to tourists because the the industry is a tough crowd, but tourists just think it's the coolest thing. And, And honestly, it is really cool. And I think we can get numb to that, but hearing songs written by the guy who wrote them, who wrote them, um, is really special. Yeah, absolutely. And really unique to Nashville. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, if we listen to your, your story here and how the, how you got to where you are and the things Mm -hmm. that you're doing that you're passionate about, that's helping creative nation, but we'd be remiss to think that it was a straight shot of success. Mm -hmm. And uh, as it pertains to my podcast and the feedback that I get across the board, the most interesting thing that people talk to me about is the trials and tribulations and the things that you had to persevere through Mm -hmm. to get to the top. And we kind of talked about it early in persistence with Mm -hmm. songwriting and that it's the 10 year run, so to speak. What is it that you had to persevere through that when you were going through it, you were not sure that you were going to be able to make it through. But once you did, it steeled your resolve to know that you could take on anything. What's that one thing? Um, You know, it's, believing that my taste that I have that my tastes can fit in this industry and that I can bring something to this industry that can be successful 
um, I, I go back to thinking about that artist that I worked with. Her name's Haley Witters. Um, and I think, I, I think we signed her in 2012 and we, it, it, it takes a few years for a new artist writer like her to just have them develop to get them in rooms to let them write to let them write by themselves to let them go on the road to let them take a trip down the highway to get inspired read books whatever it takes a few years and then once once you kind of get to this place where you're like we have this batch of songs and I feel like we're ready to record and we we made this record that we were all really proud of and i just remember like banging on doors and and you get to that point where they're starting to get some recognition and you think that that we've made it and you kind of haven't yeah <laughs> and so it's just it's but but like i said it was we picked up a few people along the way each you know each record each uh, kind of phase of her career and I'm thinking of other writers I'm working with too and similar things and mm-hmm. it's uh, it, it, once I got the confidence that hey this takes a minute but I I really believe in this and we're seeing little things accomplished every year that are building to something bigger um, once and then when she got her record deal and then she started getting on big tours, then it was like, okay, mm-hmm. that was a really big confidence boost for me. Like, okay, I, I signed this girl when she had a handful of songs and was sweeping up hair at a hair salon as sure. a second job. And now we've come a long way and people, she's, she's not only having success, but she, people are really seeing her as an artist with integrity. And that's something that matters to me. And a we we did it our way, and huh. people are jumping on board. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you, you helped me get to the next question, which I wasn't expecting, but it's something that I've highlighted extensively in 2021, and I'm going to carry on because it matters to me. You're doing this as a woman, mm-hmm. okay? And it's becoming evident, and fortunately and unfortunately, simultaneously, that you know some roads to the top are a little more difficult for some than others. Have you faced anything that was unfavorable because you were a woman that made it unfair or more difficult to get to where you are? Or have, have you been able to, been, you've been fortunate enough to steer clear of that? And what do you think the keys are to be a successful woman in business, not just in the music industry, but in business? Because that's what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of women listeners. And I think it's important for the teenage girls to dream mm-hmm. and believe that they can do it. But I also like to throw in realism. Mm-hmm. What is real so that they don't get sideswiped by too Pollyanna or too horrific? Mm-hmm. Where is it in your life and the road that you've been on? And how has being a woman been positive or negative in your experience? Yeah, for sure. I am really lucky in that... You know, I've I've worked at two companies now, and both of them have been really. We're, we're all a team, and, and I haven't seen a ton of that in my workplace. It's funny, at, um, Creative Nation. There is we have eight employees, I think, and we have seven women. So that's been really awesome, just to see that, like, see Beth succeed, and like she's just part of the game, you know. And I'm sure she's undergone her own trials and tribulations and that kind of thing, but to like see how well she's doing and see that like women can be at the top has been really empowering to me. Um, I think, repeat the second part of your question again. Uh, Has has it been, 
like what have you been through anything that made you feel like that you were compromised by being a woman yeah. and, and if you haven't been mm-hmm. speak to us about what you believe is important for a, a girl out there a woman out there trying to get to the top that the things that you hung your hat on to get you there for sure they're definitely in Nashville, and this is more in Nashville in general, unless a, unless a creative nation is a boys club. There's um, just a hang that, that some men can have and that I can't, like, genuinely can't. Like, I, I'm a mom. I yeah. try not to go to drinks with a bunch of men, that kind of thing, and end up a lot of business gets, ha- gets done in the, those kinds of situations. But I also think... I pivoted to, I'm very persistent. I pivoted to breakfasts. I pivoted Hmm. to, I also think having the product, having the product and really believing in it and chasing after it and getting told no and being, and stepping back up, um, has really given me confidence to, to not think too much about the fact that I'm a woman and he's a man and whatnot. Like, Hey, I have a great product that you have to hear. And that's the reputation I want to build so that when I have my next songwriter, they're like, Oh, I want Emily always brings me great stuff. I want to hear what Emily has, you know? So for me, it's always, it's been have something that nobody else has. That's really special. And you can kind of overcome those barriers. It helps you overcome those barriers. Yeah, I think that that you you nailed it right Mm -hmm. there, which is if you're good or if you're bringing something of value to the table, Mm -hmm. you don't have to rely on another person's acceptance to get it through the door. Definitely. Because if you have to rely on somebody else's acceptance to get it through the door that's when you come susceptible to manipulation exactly and there's there's a lot of like you do hit roadblocks but it's kind of like oh if i can't get in with that guy then i'm gonna then this guy works there too or or if i can't get in with that manager then i'm gonna go to the producer you know kind of thing and Mm -hmm. it's it's just kind of having this determination and resilience to succeed and and bringing like i said product that that people want to hear. Yeah, and I think that what you're, and also what you're really saying, which is what I believe wholeheartedly, there's a passion to it, but you can't fake it. Mm-hmm. It has to be good. Definitely. And if you're bringing quality and persistence mm-hmm. and patience, mm-hmm. that's a that's a powerful cocktail to be successful at anything. Exactly, exactly. Kind of have to do that a lot, uh, kind of div- taking bits of that and diverting it to another area here. But when we, you know, co-writing is such a big part of, publishing and getting you get told no you get told no combinations that you're trying to build up your writers and you get told no you're trying to get this artist right and the artist can't do it but the artist writes a lot with this person so there's a lot of kind of strategic thinking too of when you hit a roadblock what's another way I can get to that Mm. to that artist and eventually if you keep Knocking on the door. Keep knocking on the door and getting great songs. It's you're gonna, gonna get there. Yeah. And if you don't, you're gonna you're gonna land on a different artist that that works better for you anyway. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the second half of the show, now that we understand what drains your battery, mm-hmm. is the things that you do to recharge your battery. And historically speaking, and you're in the industry, historically speaking, there are things that bring a lot of like-minded people together mm-hmm. to 
share something that they love. So that's why concerts, sporting events, theater play a huge role in the recharge of people's lives. Definitely. And obviously travel. And I'm a big wine guy, so we're going to talk about things that you do and to enjoy yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. So first things first, and you were growing up, Mm -hmm. who are your favorite singers, bands when you were growing up? Yeah. So I touched a little bit, but uh, Patty Loveless, The Chicks, um, Tim McGraw, Kenny Chesney. Um, Do you like old Kenny or new Kenny better? Uh, I mean, old Kenny has a place in my heart, mm-hmm. but new Kenny, Kenny cuts great songs. Yeah. He, and he, that's one thing that stayed consistent with him. So I, I give him props for that. Um, like Alabama. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny. My, my husband says I'm a one genre person and I really try and I have kind of, I've scooted to the outskirts of country in different ways, but, but I just love country music and yeah. I love songwriters and, and that's always kind of been, been my bread and butter. Yeah. Greatest concert you've ever been to. Mm. Okay. I have two. Um, I saw Bruce Robison, who's a great writer at Green Hall in Green, Texas, which if you've never been to Green Hall, it is one of the coolest venues in America. Wow. Um, it's just a little dance hall in Texas. It doesn't have air conditioning, so it's hot as blazes in the middle of the summer, but it just passionate music fans and I, I love a small room mm-hmm. um i just you really can connect but people are kind of rowdy but they're also listening and it's just it's so cool so that one stands out to me and then i saw eric church in birmingham um a handful of years ago and he just he makes that guy in the nosebleeds feels like he is who he's singing to yeah. you know he's such a good entertainer so and that's what i keep hearing from all the all the songwriters and artists that come in here is that he is something special in country music. oh he's so special and his songs are great and they're so true to him he can't help but be who he is um it, between the songs and the artistry and the delivery and the live show i I just think he's one of the greats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you're, you're married to a Mississippi State Bulldog, so Hale State, clang, clang, clang. Yeah, yeah. So SEC, SEC sports uh, is, is definitely part of your uh, part of your existence. Definitely. What's your, what's your, when you think back to, who are your favorite athletes and favorite teams when you were growing up and now? Well, growing up, it's funny. I played a lot of sports growing up, and I grew up an hour outside of Buffalo, um, so my brother was a huge Bills fan and we cheered for the Bills, but I really didn't get it. It wasn't until I came to Nashville, funny enough, I was, that I realized my love for sports. And again, I had played them, but until I had started getting teams and, mm-hmm. and really following teams. Um, so when I moved here, I went to Belmont and Belmont is n- not a beer and sports kind of school. And I realized I'm a beer and sports kind of girl. <laughs> so I, uh, my best friend is from Alabama and she actually, after two years, ended up transferring to Auburn and I started visiting her and I was like, Oh, these are my people. Mm-hmm. And, um, I became this huge Auburn fan. So I got into Auburn football before I came back to the bills of, and which the Bills kind of had a, a rough run of it anyway. But yeah, so I'm a huge Auburn fan and also a huge Buffalo Bills fan. Which so, so you're still wolf. in recovery. Oh yeah. my gosh, it hurt to put my hat on this morning. So as um, we as we uh, as we as this will come out, uh, essentially two weeks after possibly the greatest football game ever played, 
with literally the worst ending oh, that gosh. you could ever ask for, which is you don't even get a chance to compete yes. in overtime. And I think they're going to have to, at some point, this is not the, because actually the Chiefs had this happen to them mm-hmm. three years ago against the Patriots. Mm-hmm. But it, it, how many more times can it happen until you realize the unfairness of a battle that's fought that unbelievably well that it can end without the other team having a chance? A shot. I yeah. know. That part is brutal. And it's, uh, I feel like I'm going to dwell on that for a long time. But you know what? I also, me and my husband have obviously, well, actually, he didn't talk for like, 24 hours after the, <laughs> the game ended. But uh, we've talked about this. I mean, we had 13 seconds to make a stop. Like, as brutal as the overtime thing is, and I hope that they end up changing that, like, we just had to make a stop. And I feel like they didn't put the pressure on like they should have. And it's easy to judge, I know, from the outside. And, and they played a hell of a game. And I'm, I, as much as it hurt to put my Bills hat on this morning, I also was like, damn, I'm proud. Like, they're so good. Yeah, they are really But, like, good. that was kind of, like, the one thing that they that I feel like we just needed to step up and do and couldn't do. Yeah, for sure. Josh, Josh obviously delivered, the offense delivered. That was the defense's moment. Yeah. They were so tired. Mm-hmm. What, I was, what I'm hearing was like the level of exhaustion mm-hmm. for both defenses. Like literally in the last two and a half minutes, nobody could stop anybody mm-hmm. because they were so gassed. Mm-hmm. And when you got the adrenaline, you got so much talent on the field. Yeah. You just can't like, that's the thing that makes it so scary for, to play in the chiefs is like, they have two people on offense, not counting Mahomes, mm-hmm. that are so difficult to contain mm-hmm. that when you start to get tired, Tyreek Hill's not tired. Yeah. Travis exactly. Kelsey's so hard to tackle. It's exactly. Just like, and it's just so frustrating because I'm so over the Chiefs. I know, so I know. Over the Chiefs. And I do. I know that like they came c- kind of from not being very good for a long time, and I can relate to that. But it's, I was just like after the game, I, we were just laying on the floor, and I was like, I just want, we just want one. The Chiefs have had it. We just want one. I know. It. Uh, but that all said, this team, it's oh, gosh, it's so hard to pick a favorite player, but this team. Man, uh, this team has been a special one to watch. For sure. Um, and and yeah, they're set for a long run now. They are. I, yeah. It's all about the quarterback, right? You get a great quarterback, and you got to hold on to that like it's a precious jewel. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. And, and, and to answer your question, going back, thinking about my favorite Auburn players, we had this running back, Trey Mason, I think in 2013, yeah. who was a hell. I mean, he, they should have measured him in miles and not yards. He was just so fun to watch. Also, the... I know he's controversial, but the Cam Newton, um, such an unbelievable athlete, an insane athlete. It was such a fun season to watch, and we had this receiver uh, Philip Lutzenkirchen, and they just had this really cool dynamic. Um, so I remember that that was really fun to watch as yeah. well. Um, well. One of the things that makes SEC school so fascinating take take LSU and Vanderbilt out because they're in the big cities. Mm-hmm. But you got all these little towns mm-hmm. like Auburn and Athens, Georgia, mm-hmm. and Starkville and Oxford, mm-hmm. and it's because that's the only thing in those towns. Yes, it becomes a level of passion that is off the chart. Yeah, I mean, you take Auburn University out of Auburn, and there's really nothing there. You no, take, you take Mississippi State out of Starkville, there's literally nothing, nothing. there. Yeah, but. You know, obviously Mississippi State doesn't have the track record that Auburn does, but I can tell you right now, when Dak Prescott was there, it changed the complexion of the university infinitely. Mm-hmm. And be, me being there from 92 to 97, we had good teams, but not great teams. Mm-hmm. And to go back like I did to see, like, this is, 
like I felt like when I went to Mississippi State in '92, it was like in 1974. Mm-hmm. It was it felt old and mm-hmm. tired and behind. Mm-hmm. And when I went back in 2015 mm-hmm. or 14, when we were number one for six weeks in a row, I'm like, we're in the present. Yeah. And this is like everything was bustling and it was new and it was crisp. And I'm like, then I end up going to University of Georgia, mm-hmm. which has a long track record of greatness too. Mm-hmm. But like Athens is a really cool town. Mm-hmm. And it's also a big music town. It is, yeah. And I just think that I'm from Pennsylvania, so I love Penn State more than life itself. Oh, okay. But if, who, if Mississippi State plays Penn State, I'm, blue and, I'm dressing up blue and white. Really? Oh, 100%. Wow. Okay. I'd, I'd be booing the Bulldogs off the field. Okay. I mean, that's just how I grew up, and that's just my life. Uh-huh. I have all these games that I went to with my dad. Mm-hmm. Like that's just like a fabric of my life. And I, my wrote litmus test on this was when the whole terrible thing went down with Jerry Sandusky and that mm-hmm. awful thing. I was thinking to myself, "This is my opportunity to embrace my alma mater." Mm-hmm. Because I remember in 94, Penn State probably had the best football team that I've ever seen. And I would leave Mississippi State games at halftime to go watch Penn State play on ESPN. Mm. Oh, so funny. Right? So I'm thinking, this is my moment where I'm going to switch allegiances. I'm going to be maroon and white. And I gotta, I'm just going to cl- wash my hands of Penn State. Okay. So that whole thing happens off season, comes back, first game. I'm, I, get my, I get my first test. At noon, Penn State plays somebody, and at noon, Mississippi State plays somebody. I plop myself down on the sofa, Penn State's on the TV. Oh, that's funny. I couldn't, like, my, it's like my heart is blue and white, and my brain is maroon and white. Gotcha. But my heart wins in that battle. Uh-huh. Um, but I will say this, and I know it drives people crazy, like, there are, like, traditional sports teams that are outside the SEC, like Notre Dame, mm-hmm. Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, mm-hmm. yes, USC, Texas, mm-hmm. right? Well, Texas is about ready to be in the SEC. Right. But the SEC game is a very different ball game. It is. It's so fun. And it's so hard for it's so hard for me to understand that when I was coming from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. You know, Penn State winning two national championships in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, like they're just as good. No, they're not. It's not the same game. Yeah. And they're they're heavily invested in the SEC. Uh-huh. Like n- nobody can fathom. And they're seeing it play out in front of their eyes. Minus a, a one Ohio State victory and one or two Clemson victories, it is Alabama, LSU, and Georgia and Florida. And that's just what they—it's what we do in college, right. college football, right? Right, right. There's. I mean, have you been? You've been to Auburn football? Games. Oh yeah, yeah. There I've is, been to. I don't know. A handful. I, I'd yeah. like to go to all of them one yeah. day, but I've but been I mean, to a handful. At the again. energy. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. It's, and it's all weekend, which was different for me. It's like we got there on Friday night and people's tailgates were out and they were they were going after it, you know, and then like, the crack of dawn the next day. And it, it's just, yeah, the, the community um, and the heart really drew me to it. It was yeah. so fun. And that's really different from NFL too, the, which I've grown to... Again, I've kind of ebbed and flowed in my in my love for NFL, but and I and I'm back to loving it again. But mm-hmm. that that you don't get that in the NFL either. Very it's a different, different scene. One hundred percent. Yeah. Like so college is like your heart. Yes. And the NFL is like your brain. Exactly. Like you you affiliate yourself with an NFL team, but man, you're you bleed with your college. Exactly. And like the basketball teams, like they're supporting the football team, and it's just like this whole community. Um, it, it's just what what everyone is doing. You know, mm-hmm. um, for sure. So yeah, I loved it. And, and I'm from a small town, so like you were talking about, like the how the the Starkvilles, the Auburns, the Athens are are 
basically the school and nothing else like that that really drew me to it too i love that like family small town yeah. and, uh everybody's getting together to cheer to, to for the for the school kind no, of thing no, no. that's so cool yeah you've had, you, you like to travel i do what's, yeah. your, what's your favorite place you've ever been to Ooh, that's hard um ooh. we went to charleston last year and that was really special that's a special um, place yeah i'm trying to think my brother's in southern california and that's beautiful too um there's just an easy going oh, yeah. and, and, and not la well uh-huh. not la uh south of that um there's just it just like feels so relaxed there um when it's 75 and sunny every day, it's easy to be Yeah, relaxed. no kidding, right? <laughs> um, I also, you know, when I took a trip with my girlfriends to um, the mountains of North Carolina, like the Highlands and Cashers, I think oh, we stayed man, in, nice and that was beautiful too. So I'm a little, I kind of, I, I, I don't often do the same thing twice. I don't have that one place that I'm always going mm. back to. Mm. I kind of, there's a lot of different sides of me, so mm. it kind of just depends on what, what I need to flex at the time and what I need to what kind of relaxation or, or excitement I need. <laughs> it's almost like when, when we're young, we're attracted to the beach. And as we get a little older, we like that mountain life mm-hmm. a little bit. Exactly. Like take a nice strenuous hike and then maybe sit and read a book and do nothing for a day. Yeah. You know, yeah. Doing nothing for a day. Now, doesn't that sound nice? Yes, it sounds so nice. Doesn't sound really cool when you're 22. Yes. But when you get to be when you get to be a little older, it's not a bad deal. Yes, no, it's <laughs> awesome. It is the best. I have a I have a two year old too, and she's amazing. But my friends who are, I my my friends who are single or don't have kids, like just to talk about being bored or what do we? I'm like, oh man, I love being bored. Oh, yeah. No doubt <laughs> I about miss it. being bored. <laughs> no kidding. Favorite movie. Ooh, oh gosh. Okay, here's okay, my cousin Vinny. And I will tell you something, I'm not a huge movie person. My husband, he gets so mad because I have such an opinion I won't be watched and then you put you get me with a full belly and a warm blanket and turn the lights off and I'm asleep in 10 minutes like before the credits are done rolling <laughs> I'm sleeping so I want to be more of a movie person but music has always been more my thing music yeah. and sports That's funny. <laughs> I, 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 an intense football game I can stay awake like yeah. a, a drama like there's no chance no, I'm going to see no. the end <laughs> <laughs> well you mentioned that you're a beer girl and uh, mm-hmm. is that your is that your uh, imbibing flavor you like your beer over wine or over bourbons or what's your what's your what's your favorite thing to do to kind of decompress yeah it kind of depends on the season Uh um i and who i'm with also Mm -hmm. like when i'm watching football i'm probably gonna be drinking beer Uh when i'm i have this supper club with my girlfriends every other month there's four of us and we've been doing it for years and we have each other we rotate and have each other over and kind of bring out our inner Julia child and make a nice dinner and we always have wine with that mm-hmm. so and and on a nice summer day I like a glass of rosé or sauvignon blanc or something like mm-hmm. that so it just kind of depends on mm-hmm. nah, I I I drank a lot of bourbon and whiskey in my 20s and, and I appreciate a good old-fashioned every now and then now but I, I kind of stick with the easier stuff yeah, I hear favorite favorite kind of wine Oh, um, summer, a Sauvignon Blanc, uh, winter, a good cab. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting what wine does mm-hmm. to an evening, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh. it's so fascinating. Like the, like the three, what I call like the spirits, 
beer and wine. Mm-hmm. They create their own environments. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, wine has this magnificent way of developing a room that makes you remember the moment mm-hmm. at a higher level than beer and, and spirits do. Definitely. And to me, I've, I've been passionate about wine since I took wine appreciation at Mississippi State in 1996. Mm-hmm. And I just find the art of it and how it enhances the meal and how the meal enhances the wine becomes like an intoxicating thing that reinvigorates you. Yeah. And it's the combination of the food and the wine and the people. Mm-hmm. And people a- a- ask me all the time, why does this wine stand out to you when it's not one of the greatest wines in the world? It's because it wasn't about the wine. Mm. It was about the people that I was with and the moment that we were sharing with the food and the wine mm-hmm. that made it so captivating. And what it, obviously what it does is it takes away your inhibitions. It takes a little bit of the edge off and allows you to be vulnerable for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. in, in something that we never get a chance to do anymore comfortably is be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And with the way the world's going, all of our vulnerability goes out through our thumbs and we, you know, in social media. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not authentic because it's not person to person. You're not looking at somebody's face, telling them what you're struggling with or what you're going through. Right. And having, like, we live in a world now, which unfortunately, we're getting less and less able to communicate with others. Mm-hmm. But we're wired for that naturally. Definitely. And that's why, historically speaking, for thousands of years, wine has played a powerful role in ending strife, Mm -hmm. whether it be politically or familiar, Mm -hmm. right? Enhancing great moments Mm -hmm. and celebrating the greatest achievements of your life. Okay. And that to me is why it's always detached to revitalization definitely that's so interesting and to, like in the world we live in today especially for people who are striving to be awesome mm-hmm. when you're passionate about something you you're lucky because you're you're making a living doing something that you love to do mm-hmm. so that makes it hard to stop doing mm-hmm. so oftentimes high achievers try to push through a burnout mm-hmm. because Oh, it can't be that bad. I'm I'm in the music industry. Mm-hmm. I can't be that tired. I'm in the golf business. I mean, right. come on, man. You're not, you're just giving golf lessons until it's too much. Mm-hmm. And it's these moments, whether it's a concert, going to a an Alabama Auburn football game, mm-hmm. going to see a play, going to a, a a girls' night out, guys' night out, and just letting it all out. They become the conduit between your greatness. Definitely. Because you can only you can't burn the candle at both ends. Yes. You gotta have a recharge. And that's one of the most important things to me in this podcast is to when people hear your story, they have to be able to relate. They they might not understand publishing. They might not understand what you can see in a songwriter. Mm-hmm. But what they can do is they can relate to them because they're you're they're a woman and you're a woman and you're succeeding and they're trying to or are mm-hmm. and they're gonna pinch off a little bit and put it in their front pocket. Yep. But they're also gonna be like when I'm exhausted, I need new avenues to recharge. Mm-hmm. And hearing other people's recharge gives people ideas, creative ideas to change their life. 
in a positive way. Definitely. So these stories that I'm able to share, like I'm like to, people ask me, like, what do I get out of this? I get something every day. Like I'm, I'm the I'm the winner mm-hmm. because I'm showcasing you and your life. But you've already given me things that I've never known before mm-hmm. that I can now use for the rest of my life mm-hmm. to make myself better. Yeah. And that's what it's all about to me. Definitely. And I, I just love this platform. And people ask me, all the time, why do I not do Zoom or over the computer podcast? And at some point, maybe I will. Mm-hmm. But much like I'm, I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. and Joe Rogan only does them in person mm-hmm. because there's a different energy between sitting right here when I'm sitting here with you mm-hmm. than it would be if I was looking at the screen and you were in your house and I was here at the golf center and we just have headphones on. It doesn't feel the same. Right. And that interconnectedness that people share together is mm-hmm. being lost. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to be this save, this, I don't want to be a savior, but I mean, I'm trying to reignite human connection yeah because it's getting lost definitely and that's what makes your industry absolutely essential for this because music brings people together oh for sure for sure and i could totally relate to what you're saying i feel like there was a huge shift in my career the first five years i was out every single night i was answering emails at 11 o'clock i was back at it early in the morning i loved it but I, I was almost hitting a burnout and I credit my meeting my husband and his group of friends, people my exa- my age who didn't work in music and who loved sports and being able to like take a step away some nights and on weekends and have these different outlets. And it made me, you know, it made me more excited to go to work because it wasn't always there. And I feel like when I found that balance, I like really started enjoying my life and enjoying my career so much more. Um, yeah. And even now I try when I get home at night, my phone goes in the bedroom and you know, like it's just, I, I think we put so much pressure to, I've put so much pressure on myself to like be the best and hurry up and answer that email. You know what? It can wait till the morning and that, that I'm not going to be happy and fulfilled in my career if I'm not happy and fulfilled in my personal life. So finding that balance and that juggle has been huge for my happiness and, yeah. and my peace of mind and having those nights, having those wine nights and having the sports and that kind of thing. So you, they really all enhance each other. Balance. Yeah balance is critical Mm -hmm. two more questions yeah they get to make a movie about emily Furman. Mm -hmm. who's gonna play emily Furman in the in the movie of you oh funny um (laughs) but i've gotten so much in my life that i look like um is her name julia louise dreyfus yeah uh the the seinfeld Mm -hmm. and or penelope cruz which my my uncle always said that which is funny um i'm not sure about that but um i don't i don't know if personality wise they are the right but maybe they have the look um let me think um you know what i just think I th- I think it's maybe some new actress or some ordinary. I I I don't think I'm this. I've found like peace and accept. I've met around so many creatives and so many people who are who are like so talented at this thing and so talented at that thing. And I think my I can uh, well, what I've learned to be proud of about myself is I'm happy in in my ordinariness if Mm -hmm. that's if that's a thing and that 
my ability to talk to people and to build people up and to sell songwriters um, is what I'm most proud of. So it's maybe somebody who who's who's not even huge or or, mm-hmm. or, or has a name yet and um, just can can sell little old me. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Nice soft sell there, Mrs. Holtz. Yeah, that right? was like your, that, was your, that was the most Lou Holtz answer of all yeah, time. Right. <laughs> well, final question, and I ask this one a lot, and I think that it's it's important to to feel. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, we turn out to be mm-hmm. the fi- the the combination of the five people we spend the most amount of time with, the five most influential people mm-hmm. of our lifetime. When you think back to where you are, and I know you're not 80 years old, obviously, Mm -hmm. but from where you are right now, who are those five people that have impacted your life, that have helped put you in the place that you're in right now? Yeah. um, Both of my grandmothers. um, My, oh, hmm. My first boss, um if we're talking about amount of time, um, and my parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talking about your grandmothers, what what was it about the grandmothers that they instilled in you? Yeah, so um, my dad's mom just was the most joyous, joy-filled family woman. She's hilarious. She's this, I'm from this huge Catholic Italian family. Um, just such a family oriented woman. Um, very supportive, witty, um, may always made us feel so important. Um, and yeah, so she was hugely influential. It's so funny. I just realized that like, and this, this, is the same for my parents too. Just like having people who support you as simple as that sounds makes all the difference. So Mm -hmm. she is just someone I just remember being a huge cheerleader. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom's mom actually uh, was born in 1915 in Poland um, during World War I. um, And in World War II was taken by Nazis to work at a labor camp in Germany. Um, Never saw her family again. Um, Met, yeah, when the war was over, she met my grandfather, who had also a similar situation, worked in the fields for Nazis, um, was liberated. They lived in Germany for a few years, had my aunt and uncle, and then came to America, had my mom, and then four more kids. Um, So they really, she was such a strong woman, such a faith-filled woman, um, really prioritized working hard and family and um she was kind of a take no crap she never she never learned english and it's funny how how much i learned from her um yeah. and her story and 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 just how she's a very gracious like she it, it, it didn't take big fancy things it, the community of her family uh her faith or what filled her cup and so it kind of taught me to to appreciate those type of things and that the, at the end of your life that's what matters the most and that pretty much tells us the story of you yeah promoting mm-hmm. and persistence yeah comes from your grandparents yeah definitely well, definitely a, and they passed that on to my parents sure. who then who then passed it on to me and sometimes it's it's easier to hear it from somebody that's not our parents yeah even though they're giving it to us because they're we're around it all the time for sure it's the other voice definitely that other powerful voice yeah 
that makes a big difference. When I ask this question, almost always it's mom and dad mm-hmm. are in that top five. For sure. But I haven't heard too many grandparents yeah. in this discussion. And they oftentimes are forgotten mm-hmm. in the role that they play. Yep. Because they're supportive. Like that's a supporting cast. Definitely. Right? They're not yeah. the star of the show. Yeah. Mom and dad are the star of the show. Yeah. And but it's it's really awesome to be able to put a bow on this podcast because at the beginning of the show we talked about persistence mm-hmm. followed by how much you love to promote the work of others mm-hmm. and at the end your passions that you describe that help put you where you are come from the roadmap that your grandparents your grandmothers definitely you. definitely a- it's funny i heard i was listening to beth's podcast and you had asked her about um it was something about like the you the the moment that you realize you're going to die. Talk, uh, also, that's one, that's one of my longstanding questions, which yeah. is Jason Silva, who's uh, I love the guy. He's phenomenal think tank guy, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, we all face three deaths: mm-hmm. the day you find out you're going to die, the day that you die, and then the last time that anybody ever mentions your name right. is the final death. Right. What are you going to do? To make that last life extend past your being on earth. Right. And that's what made me, I was thinking about that this morning. That's what made me think about my grandparents is what uh, compassionate and and kind and family people they were and, and that that's what I want to be and that... I, I guess one day is uh, nobody will ever say my name and that's fine. But if I can instill those things in my children and if my children can instill those things in their children, that again, it's like one of those simple, like having a support system sounds like, oh yeah, that's great and all, but it, it just makes all the difference. Um, and it's made all the difference in to get me where I am in my career and, and to go back and fill my cup. I love that to be able, we don't get to travel all over the world, at least right now in this chapter of our lives, I've got family all over the place. Mm -hmm. But when my siblings can get back together and we're sitting around my sister's pool in the summer, drinking a beer and a glass of wine, that's, that, that fills my cup. And, and I kind of realized if I, as I've gone throughout my life that not everyone has that, not everyone like prioritizes that. Um, and that's something that my grandparents really instilled and, and have passed down. So if that's what I can do and that's what I can leave, then that's, then I've, I've done it. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating because when you leave a mark on your kids, mm-hmm. obviously a positive one, right? It might take three generations before they can't quite remember your name. Mm-hmm. But the essence lives on. Definitely. And at the end of the day, one of the last things for us to leave behind is an essence. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I can tell from our our time together that you have the right grounding to be able to take on the big waves, know that it could topple the boat. Right. But you can get back in the boat. Right. But... Easy seas do not make a great sailor. Mm-hmm. And to be able to know and trust in yourself that you can do it. Definitely. It's instilled in generations. It's in your DNA before you were even born. Exactly. So it's in you. You're coded for it. Exactly. And I almost feel like everybody is, but some people are so scared to fail. Mm-hmm. So scared to jump. Mm-hmm. you got to trust the parachute. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that that's what you've demonstrated is that... Even if you were a little bit tepid, I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. 
you jumped mm-hmm. and you trusted the parachute and that made all the difference. Definitely. Exactly. Exactly. I, I attribute, yeah, my upbringing. I'm, I'm a Christian and that has a lot to do with it as well. And yeah, that, that life's going to kind of push you different ways. Um, and, and sometimes it's going to look a lot different than what you had anticipated. Um, but with the right foundation and the right mindset and, uh, you're you're gonna get to where you want to go, or maybe even somewhere better. Absolutely, mm-hmm. Wemley. Thank you so much for sharing your story yeah. with me, and I look forward to seeing how far you go in Creative Nation in the future. Thanks so thank much, you. Virgil. Take my, care. My pleasure. Hell State. Hell State. <laughs> in that order. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.